when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you. It is good to be back. And thanks to John Paul for sitting in and holding the fort all last week uh, while I took uh, a week off. He's back answering calls this morning. If there's anything you want to talk to us about 1850-333-103. And I wrapped up uh, my week off by emceeing the Cork Business Awards in the Silver Springs Hotel on Saturday night. And it was a delightful night out. And congratulations to all of the winners. Uh, everything that is good about business in Cork celebrated on Saturday night. And it's lovely to have nights and events like that. Glitzy uh, red carpet nights where you got to get all dolled up and dressed up. And, and nice with business communities, I think, it, for the business community, I think, to meet up as well. And uh, you could see lots of people mingling and chatting and everybody really kind of a party atmosphere but congratulations to all of the winners but even to be nominated for any of those type of events like that it's all about being nominated and just being recognised that you're doing the very best that you can do in your industry so uh, thanks to and hi to everybody that I met on Saturday night but, but particularly I think congratulations goes uh, to Michael Mulcahy who organises the event it really is a stunning stunning uh, night out and another what looked like being a terrific night was the Cork Airport 5k runway runway run that happened on Friday night and I was thinking of all of the participants two and a half thousand uh, people took part and raised funds for the airport's charity partner which is the Shine Centre for Autism uh, in Carrigaline and I was thinking of the two and a half thousand souls now I imagine it's an exciting thing to do to get out and run on a runway but it wasn't the best of nights weather wise so I certainly was thinking of all of the brave souls so well done to each and every one of them and actually there's some great photographs uh, of them in today's exam so congratulations to everybody who took part in the airport uh, run. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, in a couple of minutes, that very sad story, and we're covering it on the news uh, this morning, of the woman who died while kayaking at the weekend in County Kerry. And I heard about this story yesterday and you thought straight away thought of, oh, God help that poor woman and God help her family who are now left to pick up the pieces. And then we hear today that she's one of our own. She is um, a woman from Cork. She was a part of a group of, I think it was six women from Cork. So we're going to find out more about that very, very sad, sad uh, story that we start the week with. Also on the programme today, should penalty points be given 
given to people who park illegally in disabled bays. We have been speaking numerous times, I think a year, we will do interviews about people abusing disabled parking bays. And every now and again, we'll hear from a disabled driver who will have a story to tell about how their day was ruined because they weren't able to get a disabled parking bay space even though they had the legitimate permit and when they were driving around looking for a parking space, inevitably there was somebody parked without a permit and you know the frustration of it for somebody, particularly somebody in a wheelchair, uh, not able then to go about their business, whatever they needed to do. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago talking with a woman who was trying to get into for a doctor's appointment and ended up after an hour and a half just going home in a flood of tears and saying, I just I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was driving around. There was no spaces uh, available. It's, it's, it's very, very frustrating for people who need those spaces. And it's shocking to see them abused. And no matter what we seem to do, we can't stop people abusing these disabled bays so a suggestion is should we be handing out penalty points for it now some people will will say absolutely that's the way to go you know make the penalties as tough as possible and that might act as a deterrent to stop people doing it. Others will say no that's not what penalty points are about. Penalty points are about making people drive safely and be safer drivers Parking in disabled bay is nothing to do with the way you drive. So some people uh, may not see that as the right way to go. But we're going to discuss it and we welcome uh, your thoughts and uh, comments. Also hearing from an interesting call to end the medical tests for drivers when they reach the age of 70. Now, anyone who is 70 will know when you go to renew your driver's licence, you need to have a medical test completed and a form completed by your GP. We're going to hear from a leading expert in geriatrics who feels that that shouldn't. There is no need for this medical test. And I think you need to do the medical test. I'm going to question. I think it's every three years. So therefore, the driver's license has to be renewed every three years. And every three years, the person has to go along to the doctor, get the form filled in uh, to say medically they're, they're fit and then toodaloo along to get their license. They're no longer allowed to get a 10-year license that when you're under 70, you are allowed to get. So we'll talk about that in more detail. The decline of rural pubs and the effect that it's having on Irish men and I would imagine the effect that it's having on their mental health and is it leading to much more rural isolation previous generations men would have gone to their local pub for a few drinks not saying they went every night they might have gone a couple of nights a week they might even have only gone one night a week but it was a social outlet for them we have less and less rural pubs we have much more stricter drink driving laws which absolutely have to be welcomed we need to keep everybody safe on our roads but the knock on effect is if you're living in a rural area well two things you mightn't have access to taxi services in your area they mightn't be reliable enough to get you to and from the local pub or there's the other side of it you might be able to afford to pay for taxi and go along and have a a few pints so that then is leading to the knock-on effect of rural isolation which has an effect then to somebody's mental health their physical health can go downhill so we're going to be looking at that uh, on the program today also we're going to be going to Cape Clear to hear about a pilot program it is the first pilot of electric public 
buses. They're going to be zooming around the beautiful island of Cape Clear. We'll find out more about that. And then it's Monday, so Annalise Dressel uh, will join us from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. And as it is the first Monday of the month, Annalise, let's you, the listeners, dictate what she'll talk about today. So if you have a question to, for Annalise, get it in throughout the morning and I'll put it to her in the final hour of the programme. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now an investigation is underway after a woman died while kayaking in County Kerry at the weekend. It happened when she got into difficulty on the Rowty River near Kilgarvan. And that was at about lunchtime yesterday. Anne Mooney, our southern correspondent uh, with the Irish Sun, is writing about it in today's paper. And she joins me. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, this lady um, was one of a group of six from Cork. Yes, that's right, um, Patricia. Uh, seemingly, this group um, and other groups actually uh, use the river quite a lot for kayaking. And uh, there was about six of them, including the woman's partner. Um, they'd set out from um, from their ba- the, the, the regular spot uh, on the river and uh, were heading towards Kenmare uh, when the accident happened. Now, I understand that um, group is from Cork, uh, that the woman is in her 30s um, and that she got into difficulties. Um, her, The others were actually ahead of her, from what I understand, and realised that she got into difficulties and went back. Uh, but um, there was no... Um, she, she drowned and um, the emergency services were alert. Um, I was speaking to... Uh, Michael Healy Ray, the local TD, uh, who said that um, that the, this is a regular, not not the drowning, but the actual kayaking is regular is a regular um, occurrence on the river, and uh, that um, you know normally nothing like this would happen. That the local community absolutely devastated. Yeah, uh, and if it's if it's a regular venue for kayaking, obviously conditions are very suitable to kayaking. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, it is a beautiful part of the country, and the river itself is a really beautiful river. So, um, I assume it, winter or summer that it is a popular venue for for this particular type of um, water activity. Uh, now, from what I what I understand, the all the all of the people involved were uh, regular kayakers and were experienced um, in the sport. So uh, it wasn't that there were inexperienced people um, doing this. Um, they were very safety conscious, um, very professional about what they did um, and certainly um, it was a completely unexpected and, and tragic event. On yeah, this, because in fairness it isn't often that we hear about drownings uh, related to kayaking because most kayakers who take to the river are very, very experienced and safety is paramount. That's true. And um, the, only, the other one, there was another one earlier this year, but it was a, it was a, an elderly man who was kayaking, uh, also uh, but off the Kerry coast, and uh, he was he was sea kayaking. So yeah. I, that's understandable because you would have waves and... and Different and conditions. conditions, yeah. Yes. Uh, but this would be fairly calm and, and, and kind of, a, I suppose, a sedate kind of... Um, Event and weather weather conditions were good yesterday. Uh, Yes, yes, Uh, the weather conditions down there I think were better than they were in Cork, Um, and uh, 
doesn't appear that there was any wind or any other factors that would have contributed. So I think it was just one of those freak events that ended in tragedy. Um, the emergency services were very quickly on the scene and um, including Kerry Mountain Rescue who are always um, available when there's, when there's a need uh, to go out and, and help people um, as well as the fire service, the ambulance, paramedics, the guards. Um, guards are treating it as an accident um, and uh, it will also be investigated by the Marine Casualty um, Board. So uh, be, but the guards will be preparing a file for the coroner's court. Okay, dreadful, dreadful tragedy, and and for such a young woman in her thirties, it's it's yes. it's just so sad. Uh, and we we think of of uh, our family and friends and extend our deepest sympathies. Um, Anne, in the meantime, thank you for that. You're and, welcome. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Anne Mooney who joins us, Southern correspondent with the Irish Sun. And if we have uh, any more on that story, cause somebody was saying has the name been released? No, it hasn't. If we have any more on that story between now and one, we certainly will bring it to you. Eighteen fifty. 333103 number of texts coming in on a lot of different topics and, and we will get to as many of them as we can uh, throughout the morning but before we do uh, this was something that John Paul said came into him on Friday but he didn't get a chance he had a busy programme and didn't get around to it it's an interesting one in that somebody was on to say they have heard of TV license inspectors calling to a home at 9.30 at uh, night. And somebody is saying, surely 9.30 at night is way too late to be knocking on anyone's door, even if they don't have a television license. Should there be a cut-off point at which TV license inspectors are allowed to call? Now, I would take it that the inspectors themselves would say that they have to get out there in the evening time because with a lot of people out at work, during the day no point calling in the middle of the afternoon if there's nobody home if you're trying to track down who has paid and who hasn't paid for a TV licence and there is a big clampdown on TV licence and trying to catch people who haven't paid their TV licence and the argument uh, is that if everybody paid I think there's something like um, an evasion rate of about 30% I think the last time we looked into it an ORTE are always giving out wallops about people not paying their TV licence because they'd be getting a larger chunk of money if more people paid the TV licence. At one stage it was suggested that if everybody paid up we might all pay less but I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. But I know that there is uh, and they're trying to do a big clampdown and, they, and there's certainly a lot of ads doing the rounds at the moment warning people that the TV licence inspectors are out and about and they have a database so they know who has the TV licence. That's why if you have a licence you're not going to get a call to the door saying will you kindly show it to me even though I do remember moving house when I bought my first house I had been renting previous to that and in my rented property I did have a television licence and I went and got the TV licence transferred to the house we bought and I'd say I was in the house about two weeks and there was a ding dong ding dong and a guy at the door saying TV licence inspector and I said oh I have it I got it you know explained had it at the old house got it transferred over because there was about six months left on the TV licence and he says well you're not registered for one and he was quite hoity I remember and you know when you just I should mention when, when I was talking with Simon earlier in the breakfast show he's just moved into his house and you're up you're, you, everything is in a heap even when you're only in it two weeks and there's still boxes and you're still trying to put things away 
And I knew I put it away for safekeeping, but for the life of me, for that moment in time, I couldn't find it. And he gave me a note, you know, he gave me a form that I had to fill in and all of that. And you have seven days. And I said, honest to God, I do have my my license. And then he went off. And then I went and said, oh, I wonder, is it and exactly where I thought it was? And it was. And I went running out, but the guy was gone. And I was fuming because I wanted to shake it into his face to say, I do have one. But anyway, I digress. Somebody calling at half nine at night, is that a little bit too late? Is would, would Should there be a, I accept they have to call at the evening time, but should evening time maybe be up to half seven? Very dark evenings now, dark nights. And I don't know how comfortable I would be if the doorbell rang at half nine at night, because that's something you don't hear the doorbell ring that often now anymore, unless you know somebody is calling, but certainly not half nine at night. To me, it would seem a little bit late, but we'll give it out there to see uh, what others think. 1850 We're going to talk about rural isolation and the decline of the rural pubs and the effect it's having on men. And I mentioned it earlier and I said, you know, with the clampdown, stricter drink driving uh, rules, people not able to afford tax and the price of drink it's stopping people going to the Royal Pub Mary says ah now Patricia come on a tick you can still go to the pub and just change your drinking habits why not go to the pub and have a few minerals have some still water have a cup of coffee just go for the chat you don't always have to go for drink which is a fair enough point uh, Mary thank you for that uh, and hi Patricia a big thank you to all of the staff and customers at Griffin's Garden Centre in Dripsy they won the Garden Centre of the Year at the Cork Business Awards on Saturday night for the third year in a row they did indeed congratulations to them and actually they had a beautiful display from Griffin's Garden Centre a Christmas display it's all done out in flowers it was like a, a, a woman dressed in a crinoline dress but the crinoline dress part of the display was done in shrubs and greenery and, and ornaments and decorations. It was it was quite stunning, I have to say. So congratulations to Griffin's Garden Centre in Dripsy. 1850-333-103. Going to take a break. I'm back discussing this issue of should penalty points be given to people who park illegally on a disabled parking bay? Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now, a call has been made for people who park illegally in disabled spaces to get penalty points and a heavier fine. Joining me to discuss the issue is Richard Ryder of the Disabled Drivers Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Now, this is not a new problem and certainly it's something we have discussed many, many times on this uh, programme, the issue of people parking in disabled p- spaces without a permit. But is the situation getting worse instead of better? Uh, thanks for having me on, yeah. Um, look, time and time again, this comes up. Uh, we go out to our members once a year and, and we'd ask them, what's their biggest bugbear of being a disabled driver? And time and time again, it comes back with the same old, same old, that, um, yeah, parking these, uh, what I would call the, uh, I'll only be a minute merchants, you know, um, parking in people's spaces, taking up um, valuable spots for people with disabilities. Yeah, look, um, is it getting worse? There's no stats out there to kind of show if it's, better or worse but I suppose the feedback we're getting um, would be the Gardaí have kind of have a bit of a clampdown at the moment they're started operation enable back in March 2017 where they're actively going out uh, fining people and for your listeners I don't know if they know the fine has actually gone up from 80 euro in March this year up to 150 euro so that has to be welcomed um, you, know, it's, you know we're asking for more but look it's, it's a start um, 
And uh, as I say, more and more again, we, we would ask for it to be increased to 300 euro and for people to uh, maybe get penalty points. At that point, they might think twice about parking. Yeah, that if it was even there, would act as a deterrent to, to stop yeah. people. And Richard, have we an additional problem in that we don't have enough disabled spaces around the country? Well, look, there's two sides to that, I suppose. There's, there's, there's private parking and people might go out to some of these um, shopping centres, you know, on the outskirts of towns and that and see massive amounts of parking spots, yeah. wheelchair sparkles. And what that's to do is the building regulations. So for every regular parking space, there has to be, you know, for every 10 there has to be one or whatever you know um, that's why you'd see so many in private then in, in, in public spaces like that's up you know to the local authority and I suppose what we'd urge people is to get on to their local representative if they feel that there's not enough or you know maybe outside somebody's house you might see it so you know people need to kind of stand up themselves as well and, and ask for more spots if they feel it if they feel it necessary but it, it all comes back then that if people illegally park in the spots you know that's a bigger problem, I think, because um, we get our members ringing us saying, I, I, you know, circle the town for 10 times and then, you know what, I just went home. Was yeah, yeah. Uh, and we, we would hear, th- some of those stories are heartbreaking and, and mm-hmm. we certainly heard from them over the years of people just saying, I gave up, I went home, yeah, there was no point. Home. Exactly, you know, and it's already taken them an hour to get themselves together, to get out of the house and people just need to think twice. You know, people need to think if, if it was their own loved one or if they unfortunately got a disability would they uh, you know as, as I heard one person saying one time would you take my disability as you would quick take my space yeah. you know yeah. that's, that's, a, that's what people need to think and they don't you know as I say I did call them the one I'll only be a minute merchants um, a couple of years ago we went out and just asked our members you know when they approached people parked in the spots what was the excuses given I, I can read them out very quickly there just five of them if you like yeah please do yeah first of all I, I'll only be a minute Secondly, I'll move if somebody comes along and wants the space. Thirdly, I'll park where I like. Number four, I have a hangover. Number five, what's it got to do with you where I park? And six, I'm getting my Chinese and that's more important. That's the kind of stuff people are being told. I, I, have, a, I have a hangover. Yeah, I have a hangover. And that's an excuse? That's, well, that's what people, that's what people, someone was told. They ask people, so look, when you're dealing with that kind of stuff, what, what do you do? And then it kind of scares people from approaching people to ask them, you know, so that's... Uh, <laughs> and look, the other side of it, it is as well, there's there's misuse of the card. Yeah, yeah. It's where, you know, you would have somebody who has a card and maybe has passed away, or had a card has passed away, and a relative continues to use that card to get free parking. That's just shocking and a disgrace, you know. And uh, it's not it's that? not even a case, Richard, of a family member passing away and somebody using the card. I mean, we would anecdotally hear from listeners who say they know of family members who pass Granny's card around. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I'm going, uh, should you take it today and I'll have it tomorrow when Granny yeah. isn't with them? Whatever yeah, about yeah. if you're bringing Granny out, fine. Use well, her card. But, her, yeah. but, but, yeah. but if she's not, he or she's not in the car, no. in the car, correct. you shouldn't be using it. No, correct. You know, um, even if, you know, people say, oh, well, I was going down to get something that came as for, gra- for my granny or for my mom or whatever. No, get per- out and walk. She, yeah, she, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. The person needs to be loosely for the person. So people just need to think more, you know, um, really think before you park, I suppose. What we'd be saying. OK, so and I see James and Bannacolic and somebody else has said this as well. Would if you could put the registration number of the permit on the car, would it stop people passing it from one yeah, family member to the other? 
well, no, because it's not it's not for the car; it's for the person. Yeah. So it, it that allows you to, you know, son or daughter wants to be mum or dad. So you don't have to be the one car. So that wouldn't really work, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, but a good idea, but just not not really. Um, so. Someone else says the best way to stop it would be to start clamping them, clamp yeah. the cars. Yeah, absolutely, clamp. I think that no, that can happen. Clamp, um, three hundred euro fine, maybe some couple of penalty points. Um, in parts of the United Arab Emirates, they, if you're caught three times, they'll take away your car and crush it. So oh, um, <laughs> now we're not calling for that, but you know there are tougher <laughs> enforcement methods out there, and they're just not being used at the moment. So something's going to have to be done, and the more people kind of. As I say, get out to your local representative and, um, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets oiled first, you know, that kind of way. So. Hi, says uh, a listener by text. I know of a home help who uses the parking badge for her own use. That's absolutely shocking. Well, yeah, if, if that person can uh, got the number of that card and report it to either ourselves and the Disabled Drivers Association or the Irish Wheelchair Association or, or the Gardaí, they can they can seize the card if that's what's happening. Yeah, they can seize the card and they'll get a hundred and fifty euro fine. Well, the person will be fined if they're. Oh, yeah, of course, because oh, yeah, they're illegally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Alistair says yes. More bring in penalty points. Plus, I would I would increase the fine to one thousand euro. Oh, I'm not yeah. disabled, says this Lister, but it makes me so mad when I see the space has been abused, especially here in uh, Mill Street in yeah. uh, North Cork. Okay. Good, good point, caller. Okay, and would would you encourage members of the public to confront somebody who is uh, illegally parked in a space like that? Not necessarily the disabled person. But able-bodied persons, people, I mean, if we, it's a difficult thing to do, isn't it, to take somebody on? It is. I mean, I've done it myself, and then other times I go, I'm not going to say anything because the person might look a bit whatever in the car, you're kind of, I'm not going over near them. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's, it's understandable that people would kind of go, God, you know, um, what are they going to say to me or, or, or do to me? So, yeah, it is a difficult one. And then you've also got the thing of not every disability is a visible one either. You know, so there are people, say, with very bad park conditions or whatever, that's what might have a card or a child with, you know, so it's a difficult one. It is. And that's up to the person. It really is. You know, yeah. I'm not going to call for, you know, tell everyone they should be doing it. Um, but, um, yeah, if they feel that it's strong, you better do. Yeah. Are there more of the badges out there than ever before? Has there been an increase in the number of people applying? There is, yeah. I suppose the population is getting older. Yeah. Um, uh, as a population, we are getting older and everyone's living longer. So more and more. Um, see, it's, I suppose the card is it's not just for somebody, say, in a wheelchair. It's for, you know, older elderly people that would be um, not able to walk as far anymore. And we're all, we're all going to be there, unfortunately. We are. We are. You none know, of us, so, none of us I mean, are getting younger. We're all heading the other way. Younger. None of us are getting there. So that's what we say. Look, just respect the spots. Um, you're going to need it one day yourself. And uh, or you might so uh, just think twice before yeah. you park. And also remember when you are parking close to a, the a disabled parking space that you allow enough room that you don't park on top of somebody. We hit the case uh, during the summer of one of our listeners and his disabled child, and he couldn't get the child out of the car because yeah, somebody had parked up on top. Well, of him, yeah. yeah, like the ramps at the back. You'll see yeah. on the sign of some of the wheelchair accessible vehicles, you would see a sign on the back saying, "Please leave, you know, one and a half to two meters for my ramp to come down." Yeah. If you imagine you park right up behind that, the person is trapped in the car. Uh, or if they've come back from shopping, come back to the car, they can't get into the car because yeah. uh, someone's parked. Or like that, if you park too close at the side, you imagine someone has to open the door really wide to get the wheelchair out, to get themselves into the wheelchair to to, to get going, you know. So, uh, yeah, 
again, all these things you have to think about. And I know people are in a hurry or they're, you know, uh, going through their daily lives. But I would just ask people to kind of think think twice before you park, I suppose. Be a little bit considerate. That's all, that's all it more, takes. A little bit more considerate. Yeah, absolutely. That's all it needs. Richard, thank you. Pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank yeah, you for thank that. You and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Richard Ryder, who is with the Disabled Drivers Association. Uh, Tim, has, uh, Tim says by WhatsApp, there are plenty of disabled parking spaces. I think the more you provide, the more they'll be abused. I see it time and time again at shopping centres. Abled-bodied people parked in disabled bays. They should only be used by people in wheelchairs or with walking aids. They shouldn't be used by elderly people just because they're a bit feeble. If somebody can get out of a car unaided, they shouldn't need to park in a disabled bay, says Tim. Ugh, Tim, I, I don't know about that. You might, you might, somebody might be able to get out of the car unaided, but then not able to walk very far. Hence the reason that they get their disabled parking badge to allow them so that they can keep. Remember, a lot of this is to do with keeping people's independence. And it's something actually we're going to be touching on in the next hour or, or later on this hour, actually, when we're talking in a couple of minutes about the medical test for over 70s. It's to keep people driving. It's to keep people out and about, to keep them independent. And if it means giving them a disabled parking badge allows them to park closer to the post office, closer to the supermarket door uh, or the the uh, the retail centre, wherever the shops where they want to go and gets them out of their house so that they know that they can do it and do it on their own and maybe do it with a little bit of help, then that's what we need to do. We, you know, rather than allowing somebody to stay at home and just fearful of, get, fearful of going out at all uh, because they won't be able to get a parking space because they won't be able to walk a long enough distance. So, no, I, I don't think it should just be for somebody that's in a, a wheelchair. A disability, remember, comes in all different forms and they can also be hidden as well. Now, in the next hour, we are going to be talking talking about the decline of uh, rural pubs and in particular the effect that it is having on uh, men. Uh, What's up from Heidi saying, good morning Patricia, welcome back, thank you very much. John Paul did a great job last week as always, thank you to Heidi. Uh, You're asking if rural pubs closing and what effect on men that would visit them once or perhaps twice a week to have a chat and a catch up with what is happening in the area well I would say yes if you are a farmer or a person who is self-employed it would affect you because we all need social interaction and if you are a farmer working the land on your own or if you're self-employed and working on your own you don't have the interaction that other employees will have if they go to a place of work where there's a lot more people are working so if you're not interacting with others, it can lead to depression. That said, it is not only pubs closing. It's also to do with the local restaurant closing, the local shops closing, the local post offices. Nowhere for people to meet up unless you go on a very long drive. And that's actually there's a couple of other. Thank you for that, um, Heidi. There's a couple of other people making that point as well that was brought up earlier when I was saying, you know, the decline of the rural pub and the pubs that are there or if you've got to go into your nearest town for social interaction if you're going to the pub it can be expensive if you're trying to book a taxi you might not always be able to get a taxi a number of people are saying we're back again to our attitude to alcohol and why does everything have to revolve around alcohol and there's nothing to stop you going to the pub and just having a cup of coffee just having a mineral 
you know, go in to play a game of cards or whatever it is, whatever kind of a social event is happening in the pub, why do we always assume that we have to have drink? It's almost something in our psyche, isn't it, that we can't go to the pub and not drink. And that's not to say that people don't go to the pub and not drink. But then as soon as we talk about going to the pub as a social outlet, we are assuming that the person or people are going to be going along are going to be having alcohol. We need to do something about that. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Uh, still people reacting to what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago with people parking in disabled uh, bays. Uh, Michael says it's absolutely disgusting to see people parking in disabled bays who don't have a disabled badge. We need to do something about uh, it. It needs to uh, end. Uh, Mary says could they not introduce some kind of a bar where the disabled spaces are uh, that only gets activated with the disabled permit would that not stop it being uh, abused uh, it it would except it wouldn't stop people the other problem we have we have two problems we have the problem with people who just don't you know the ones that Richard was talking about who just don't give a damn and who just park regardless saying I'm only going to be two minutes I'm going in to get me Chinese I love the excuse of I, hang a, I have a hangover I need to park here uh, we have, that's one group of people but then we also have other people who use a family member's disabled permit so therefore when you see them parked up it looks like they're legitimately parked because they have the permit, but yet when you look at it further, they're illegally using somebody else's permit. So while your idea is good, that there would be some kind of a barrier that would go up, that would only activate with the card, it won't stop stop that second group of people and they are the people who are using their parents' disabled badge or, you know, granny's disabled um, badge, which is... Um, um, which is a, just a different group of people and it's one I don't know how we're ever going to get around and uh, stop and another listener said I've got an extra neighbour who has one of those disabled uh, badges he doesn't use his car for work he, he's not disabled how does he have one of those badges you can have a hidden disability uh, they're not the easiest of badges uh, the easiest those permits are not the easiest to get they certainly at one stage um, they felt that they were giving them out the doctors were give, giving them out very uh, easily but they have clamped down on that and there is a much stricter criteria so you don't know I mean unless you're going to ask your neighbour what is his uh, disability but remember you can have a hidden uh, disability. Now compulsory medical tests for drivers over the age of 70 should be abolished that's according to Professor Desmond O'Neill who is the Director of the National Office of Traffic Medicine and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you Professor O'Neill, you're welcome to the programme Thanks very much. Good morning now, to you. do you believe older drivers are actually safer than younger drivers? And, and I'm assuming, are there statistics to back that up? Yeah, no, no, it's not just a belief. It's actually a fact. And it's around the world that uh, despite uh, popular imagination and uh, an awareness of increasing disabilities of later life, what we tend not to be aware of is that actually uh, older people have... Um, they're smarter, they're wiser, they're better strategically. So, in fact, around the world, uh, older drivers not only have less crashes, but that prevalence of crashes is dropping. The one thing that perhaps confuses people is that, however, if you do have a crash, you're more likely to die because you're fragile and cars are not adapted to the fragility of later life. But older people have less accidents, cause less accidents, 
and also somewhat surprisingly to, to the lay public and indeed to some doctors but not, not not anymore is that this idea of screening people for medical diseases by getting a gp's letter in the areas where this has been looked at in the nordic countries in australia not only is it not in not effective but actually it's associated with more deaths of older people on the roads that's interesting isn't it yeah, now what we think happens is there's no reduction in the number of people who die in cars, but more die as pedestrians or cyclists or in public transport. So it seems to be that older people are put off by this test. Yeah. And, you know, it is interesting because, you know, any time I'm asked about this in the social arena, people are saying, but what about dementia? Well, the Danes put in a memory test in their medical screening and still more people died among those who were screened than those who were not. So the thing about it is, even with dementia, people tend to behave sensibly, to be circumscribed by those around them. And even reporting is a big issue here. We've done a survey of how older drivers' crashes are reported in the media, and they get much more attention than the 10 crashes that occur during the same time, say, with, with, with younger people, particularly young males being a key challenging group. If you abolish the medical test, what would you replace it with? Well, we've actually put a whole number of things in its place already, in fact, to prepare for this. So in the first instance, we developed the first proper guidelines for, for doctors and nurses and others to use. So that's that been a big change. The second thing is we've put in much more stringent self-declaration on the driver license re- application and renewal form. So in the past, there was just an open text box saying, uh, own up to anything you might have. And of course, yeah. nobody did. Now there's 27 different text boxes that you've got to answer or yes or no. We've um, put in education programs for family doctors and others. So we've the highest level of awareness of um, the guidelines of any um, country in the world. We've put in um, also restricted licenses for which help to, to, to allow people to continue driving, such as only daytime driving, only within a certain radius, only a certain speed limit. So that's been really helpful. And lastly, we're working on this thing called on-road driver assessments, which is for people who've got neurological disease, is how these should be carried out. In addition, we've gone out to the public in a big way. So we've developed a set of leaflets for, for around the various conditions. And we've been down at big events like the Ploughing Championships and the Tullamore Show to uh, have a, an open forum with, with, with drivers uh, as to minding their own health. Because doctors, I mean, the, you know, the family GP, they know their patients really well um, and they're listened to. I mean, they're really the ones and, and I'm assuming they're the ones who will talk to their patients about maybe it is time to give up driving, for example, that very difficult conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, it is. And I think it's, well, uh, and there's a couple of different ways around it. It's, it, it. But they are the people who know them best. And they also know, you know, as we get older, we tend to have more than one condition. And they tend to know which condition is important and which, which, which drives it. And we strongly recommend using a second opinion if you're not sure or if you feel it would be difficult. So to a geriatrician or a psychiatrist or a neurologist, occupational therapist or a non-road assessment. So it's not as if we're saying to people, you're on your own here. Uh, Jack, you know. So we've put in a range of supports, a range of processes. It's like nothing else in the world is it perfect but we're in advance of many many other countries and we're delighted that uh, Professor Bradley in UCC there has done a study which indicated some of the challenges GPs find when discussing this with patients they know a long time 
So we're going to use that uh, survey to help us work out how can we provide better support uh, processes and information for family doctors. Because you specialise in in geriatric medicine. I mean, as we get older, uh, is it important to continue to to drive? I mean, to keep our independence, for example? Hugely important. It's hugely important to continue as long as we can and to be supported because really um, what we find is that is once you stop driving, you're cut off from all kinds of social events, you're cut off from uh, even getting to healthcare uh, appointments. So uh, the emphasis in the research area around older people has moved very much from one of safety to one of looking at their mobility. So absolutely, the longer people can continue, the safely, the better. Okay, well, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks Not for joining all. us on the programme. Good morning Absolutely. to you. That is uh, Professor Desmond uh, O'Neill, 1850 333 uh, 103. Uh, and that very much ties in with what we are going to be talking about in the next hour, looking at the decline of rural pubs on, on Irish men as well. Because, uh, again, if, if older people stop driving and are inclined to stay at home more it leads to all kinds of problems and that's exactly what we're tying in with in the next hour with the decline in rural pubs particularly when it comes to uh, Irish men this one made me smile as somebody said in a text Marie says is it a bit early to have Christmas lights on I've just been in Main Street in Mitchellstown or was in Main Street in Mitchellstown last night and there was lights on outside one of the supermarkets and Marie wonders is a little bit uh, too late are the Christmas decorations already well you see Halloween is gone and a lot of people see the kind of the division as soon as Halloween is out of the way. That means Christmas is here, even though what are we only at the fifth day of November? Is it a bit early for the Christmas lights to be on? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some of the shops, are they already putting up the decorations? Are they already in place uh, already? If they are, is it too early? Is what Armory is wondering. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Annalise Drissel is doing a question and answer session on our nutritional slot today. So get your questions and answers in throughout the morning. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. A break in news at 11 on the way. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your interactions coming in. We love to hear from you uh, either by phone, text, WhatsApp. Of course, you can also email Patricia at c103.ie. Michael in Castletown Bear uh, reacting to my piece with Professor Des O'Neill, who wants to see an end to the compulsory medical tests for people over the age of 70, which they have to get every three years and a form signed by their doctor in order to allow them to renew their driving licence. Professor O'Neill thinks it's wrong. Statistics uh, proof that as people get older, they're actually safer drivers than many of the younger drivers. Michael says, good morning and welcome back. Thank you, Michael. Uh, We as senior citizens, says Michael, should not be subjected to a medical test at the age of 70, as the vast majority of those bearing the weight of 70 years are in pretty good shape in today's world. At 80, maybe it could be considered. Furthermore, our insurance is loaded because of our age, which is totally out of order. As statistics have proven that we are more capable drivers and we're paying more for the shenanigans of some of our younger drivers. It's now time for our government to create a special insurance company to cover citizens of 70 years of age and upwards. I'll be writing to the government on this issue. Don't we deserve that, says uh, Michael. Keep us posted, posted on any interaction 
interaction you have with the government on that one I think you'd get a lot of support uh, Michael I think a lot of older people would like the idea of having a dedicated insurance company that would be some way backed by the government just for older drivers but just I did an interview a couple of weeks ago about insurance costs and it was particularly aimed at older drivers that when your insurance premium comes in, do not accept the first quote that you get because it seems a number of insurance companies are copping on to exactly what you're talking about, Michael, that older drivers are safer drivers and are less likely to be involved in an accident. Many older drivers don't do as much driving as they might have done, say, for example, when they were in their 20s or 30s or when they were raising a family or when they were out at work. So they're doing they're on the road a lot less they don't drive as far as they may have done when they were younger. And yes, the statistics are there. They're involved in less accidents. So a number of the insurance companies are, are copping on uh, to that. And I know the advice we gave a number of weeks ago is for all of the older drivers, when your insurance premium comes in, start shopping around. If if you're in, if you're tech savvy and you're onto the internet, go online. It's, you know, it's quite easy to do now online to compare and get uh, different quotes. Okay, you need to put a little bit of time uh, into it. If you're not into, you're in an area that doesn't have broadband and you're not able to go online to do it, get a family member, ask a family member to take a look and get different quotes for you. You will be surprised at what you can save by shopping around, especially the older drivers. Um, and I remember the advice we were being given was if you sometimes uh, a renewal quote will come in and there might be 20 or 30 euro lower than what it was last year and a lot of people say isn't that great they're giving me a little bit of discount don't even accept that shop around you could even get maybe a hundred or more euro off the premium that you paid uh, last a year we, we, we tell everybody to shop around but I think it's particularly important now for older people when it comes to car insurance thank you to Danny question in for Annalise keep those coming I spoke about Christmas and Marie who saw Christmas lights outside a supermarket in Mitchellstown last Last night and said, is it a bit too early for Christmas lights? Ponders are Marie. Well, Jim was on to say, Patricia, 49 days to Santa Claus. <laughs> so maybe it's not too early. Maybe it's not too early. But actually somebody else sent in a lovely text saying, Patricia, my daughter has her house all decorated for Christmas already. My son is home for a few days and my son will not be home for Christmas. So we had Christmas dinner yesterday. Now, I think that is a lovely lovely thing to do I know I had uh, friends of mine who did it as well uh, during the summer there uh, loved one is in Australia and was home in the su- in the summer but won't be home at Christmas and they had I don't think they put up the Christmas tree or anything like that but they had a Christmas dinner but that would have been really nice for your son because having the Christmas decorations up and sitting down to have a Christmas dinner with all of the trimmings and there's nothing like that dinner than the dinner you get on Christmas Day. It must have been quite special for him. But I have heard of other people. Thank you for that and I hope you had a lovely day yesterday. I have heard of others that as soon as Halloween is out of the way and many people now decorate their homes. We've gone very American in the way we, we decorate our homes for Halloween. But for some families, the Halloween decorations come down and the Christmas decorations go up straight away. Traditionally, I'm 
always sort of the beginning of December because I love Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the twinkling lights. And I hate when December, January comes and I have to take them down. And for a couple of weeks afterwards, the house looks so bare. I think it's one of the reasons that I hate January the most of all of the months of the year. I think it's because the Christmas decorations are gone. But to me, beginning of December certainly is long enough for me. And some of my friends would say that's even up too long. I know of others who only put them up the week before Christmas. But absolutely, there are people perhaps listening to this programme who have their house fully decorated already uh, for Christmas. And if that's what you want to do, then that's that, that it doesn't work for everybody, but it certainly does work for some uh, people. You're talking about, uh, there's no name on this text, Hi Patricia, you're talking about rural pubs and the decline of rural pubs. Yeah, we are going to be talking about it in this hour. Well, here in Ballyno in Mallow, our post office and shop closes on December 31st and we are left then with one pub, a church and a local hall. We have no bus service and as regards a taxi, forget it. The post office has been in the family for over 100 years. Any person who doesn't have a car, the nearest post office will be a round trip of eight kilometres. So we all wonder how how long will the pub stay open? And you can't blame them, really, can you, if they do decide to close? We down here feel forgotten about. We feel the powers, the power makers and decision makers in uh, Dublin uh, need to know that life doesn't stop at the Red Cow at Roundabout. And that's, yeah, well, decision makers will make their own decisions. But I think we, as local communities, it's where we all have a role to play. It's it's devastating to see a post office close and a post office that has been in a family and in an area for well over 100 years. That really is heartbreaking to see a business like that going. But the only way that we can guarantee that those post offices, that little shop, the pub that you talk about, the only way we can guarantee that they stay open is the local communities living there. Rather than driving past that post office in your car to go into the nearest town to do your shopping, you know, I'm not saying that you've got to do all of your shopping at the local store, but make sure if you transfer every week some of the shopping that you normally do, maybe as part of your big supermarket shop, if you spend some of that money in your local store and if you have a local post office that you make sure whatever kind of services that are available that you can do with your local post office too because we we need to use use it or lose it and people are sick of hearing me saying that but we need to support all of these small businesses because after the event when they close down and they're gone We'll all be, you know, we all start to bemoan the fact, isn't it awful? We don't have our local corner shop. Well, if you don't use the corner shop enough, it'll be one of the reasons why that little shop will close. And we're coming into, as seeing as we've been mentioning Christmas already, we're coming into a, a time of the year where we probably spend more money than we spend at other times of the year. Stop and think where you're buying your Christmas presents uh, this year. Um, you know, if you are the type that's going for convenience, you're shopping online. How is that going to benefit local businesses? Think about shopping locally. Again, you might not be able to get everything you want locally, but an item, if you know you can get an item locally, then make sure that you shop local. Are there artisan producers that you could buy? You could get some absolutely gorgeous Christmas presents from artists and producers. Farmers markets are a great place because it's usually all local people that are setting up stalls there. So there's a way we can all do our own bit. We can sit here and moan about 
the decision makers in Dublin and that they don't know anything about rural Ireland and they don't know what it's like to live in, in rural Ireland and they don't because you know many of them have never been to rural Ireland and they certainly haven't lived here so they don't know what the reality is like but rather than moan about it we've got to do our own thing as well we've got to look after our own communities and we have to look after our own businesses so we all have a role to play let us light the candle rather than curse the darkness OK that's my rant for the day back to parking disabled bays Mike in this is interesting Mike in Bantry says Patricia I heard of people putting up a a doctor on call sign on the dashboard of their car and then they're allowed to park anywhere they like do they get away with that Mike would you actually get away with that I mean I'm assuming the doctor's on call sign is a fairly official looking sign is it you can't just make up a doctor on call or buy a doctor on call sign and stick it up in the dashboard I'd love to hear from somebody who can tell me that they've actually done that that they've actually used now not parked in disabled bays we're talking about parking somewhere else uh, and that you got away with parking because you had a fake doctor on call sign that you put up on the dashboard of your car. Margaret says, Patricia, come to Mill Street any day of the week in Super Value and look at the disabled spaces outside. The Garda barracks, the spaces there are all taken, illegally parked, especially on a wet day. The same people, says Margaret, do it all the time. And by the way, they're all very able-bodied. It really, really maddens me, says uh, Margaret. On TV licence, and this was kicked off by somebody hearing of a report of a TV licence expected calling to a home at half nine at night and wondering, should there be a cut-off point? Is that a little bit too late? But that now has led to people discussing about a TV licence should you, be, should you be paying the TV licence? Is €160 Euro expensive for your television uh, licence? Tom in Formoy fees at €160 Euro a year. It is too high. And he says people simply cannot afford to pay for it, especially those of us who have changed to Serview. We cannot actually receive RTE and have to pay for either Sky or Virgin to get RTE. Their staff are also overpaid. I drive around a lot across Ireland and I feel local radio presenters can be as good as those in RTE so I cannot understand the big wage differences uh, thank you for that Tom and believe me us in local radio get paid nothing like they get paid uh, in RTE Mary says I pay for my TV licence by buying four euro worth of stamps every week it's paid ahead of time there's no excuse for anyone not to have a television licence and as I'll double check this afternoon when I'm off air but I'm sure the last time I did some research on this I think it was around 30% they reckon is the evasion about 30% of the population not paying for a television uh, licence and RT claim they would have a lot more money in their coffers if everybody who has a TV paid for their television licence and calling at half nine at night as a licence inspector or anybody calling at that hour of the night is it, you know, dark evenings and all of that. I'm wondering how many people would actually answer the door. Patricia says the texture. I always open a window to make sure I know the person at the front door um, and if it is a stranger to at least find out 
who it is and what they're actually looking for before I would open the door. That is the way to do it. I certainly wouldn't be opening the door at half nine at night to anyone, let alone a TV licence uh, inspector. Jim and Balancolic says, Patricia, if RT stopped repeating the same programmes, we'd only have about three hours of television in the day, says Jim. They're great at the old uh, repeats. 1850-333-103. And I just want to put in one more into this section of comments coming in. Patricia, you're my last hope. <laughs> I am sick to death with Brexit and I couldn't care less. But what I want to know is... What is the backstop that they are constantly talking about? It's all we hear whenever anybody talks about Brexit. All you hear about, actually, we're all right because we have the backstop. What is the backstop? Well, the backstop is an agreement that was reached between the EU and the UK. And it was agreed last year. And it states that in the absence of another any other solution for the border that Northern Ireland would effectively remain within the EU Customs Union. So if we end up with the hard Brexit, which God almighty, it's looking very close uh, to that. And that would mean that there was an agreement, there was no agreement in place, but they hadn't come up with any sort of a solution or any sort of an arrangement for the border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. If that be the case and Brexit happens and this hard Brexit happens, then we would revert to this backstop, which was this agreement that was signed up last year between the EU and the United Kingdom. And it would mean that Northern Ireland would effectively remain within the EU Customs Union. And that all sounds uh, really well because it would ensure no hard border. And we do not want a hard border on the island of um, uh, Ireland. However, the big stumbling block with the black backstop backstop is that the Northern Ireland Unionists, and there's others as well, are insisting that Northern Ireland be treated no differently than the rest of the United Kingdom after Brexit comes into effect. And remember, Brexit comes into effect in March of 2019. We are now less than six months away to Brexit actually happening. But they're saying, the Northern Ireland Unionists are saying that they do not want Northern Ireland treated any differently to the rest of the United Kingdom. And obviously they would be treated differently to the rest of the United uh, Kingdom uh, because they would effectively remain within the EU Customs uh, Union. Uh, So it's not as plain and simple as we don't have anything to worry about because we have the backstop because we don't know what the Northern Ireland Unionists would do if that was uh, to happen. And I hope that that's explained it. Uh, that's my the, my best way of explaining it to you. And I hope that has helped you in some way. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. The Round Tower Fitted Furniture and Kitchens there in Enniskeen. They're looking for an experienced carpenter. It's for making and fitting furniture and kitchens. A truck driver wanted for a multi-drop farm deliveries. Um, it's a weekday job and it's based in Mallow. Country Clean Recycling in Shambhalimore are looking for staff with experience of agricultural machinery to operate an indoor baler and a childbinder is wanted to mind children in their own home four days a week experience and references essential you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is c103
Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now let's give this out straight away because it does look like it's a bit of a scam that's going on at the moment and it's in the Mallow area. It's Mallow Speed Cleaning Services have contacted us to say that they want to let people know that they never cold call. They do not knock on people's doors uh, saying, do you want work done, your gutters cleared out or uh, any kind of cleaning work done. They have been led to believe that there's somebody going around the Mallow area offering services claiming that they are working for Mallow Speed Clean Services. So they never, ever do cold calling. It's not their business. It's nothing to do with them. And they are afraid that people are going to think it's, it's a very reputable company, that people are going to think it's them and they don't want people to lose out on money for work that could be shoddy work or work that might not get done at all. So please be aware of that. And we always say that to people when you have somebody knocking on your door looking to offer you a service just politely decline. If there's some work you want done in your house, then go to a local company, look up the telephone number, contact them directly, call into the business and do your dealings that way. Never, ever entertain somebody that comes to the door trying to sell you a product or sell you a, a service. So keep a lookout for that. As I say, we, we are led to believe it's in and around the Mallow area, but they're claiming to be for Mallow Speed Clean Services and they are not cold uh, calling. 1850 333 Now this Wednesday, Rath Community Centre will be the venue for a public discussion entitled Giving Men a Voice. Joining me to discuss the afternoon event is Dennis Kelly, who is Community Development Officer with Winton Atira in Cork. Good morning to you, Dennis. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. The decline of the rural pub as an outlet for men. How big a problem has that become? Oh, well, Patricia, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, use the pub for uh, social, as a social outlet because, you know, uh, in even in my own in my own community now, you know, I, I see a couple of men in their sixties, seventies, maybe their eighties, meeting of a Friday night to have a a couple of drinks and to catch up, and that's one of the things is we're we're advised to do with regards to our mental health is to look up and catch up with old friends and keep in contact with them, and I think the pub gave, gave people that outlet in the past, and especially now in rural areas with so many of the pubs have closed, mm. I think it has, you know, it's blocked off an outlet for men, particularly men living on their own or widows or widowers and things like that. You know, I think that has blocked off an outlet from, for them. And, and what, what are the alternatives? Are, are, are there any alternatives for these men who traditionally, as you say, went to the pub maybe one, two nights a week? Are, are, is there anywhere else for them to go? Well, there are probably lots of places for them to go, but I they don't. The purpose of this, men are, are very bad at joining things, you know. Mm. We find, we we have a community care uh, program and we run three or four, seven hours every year all over the county and cover topics like mental health, diet, mood, you name it, the fair deal. But we find and we have found in, in, in over the years that men don't come along. The women will come in their in their droves, but the men won't. Uh, now there are very, you know, I suppose you have things like the men's shed, yeah. But we don't want this event. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Be prescriptive uh, uh, precision because we don't want to tell people what they want to do. What we really want to do at this event is talk to people, talk to men, and find out what they want to do. You know, we don't want to be telling them, you should join a men's shed, you should join a men's club, you should go here or go there. No, those, those um, I suppose, those outlets are there. But we would like to hear, you know, the, the men's own experiences and uh, what barriers there are to getting involved, you know. Uh, I think there are, there are obvious barriers for, with, with the pubs in, in that, uh, especially with the, the drink driving laws now, and you know, rightly so. Uh, uh, we, you know, I, I would think that. Yeah, and see, I mentioned. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier, um, and I spoke about the stricter drink driving uh, laws and uh, like you said you know they they are to be welcomed in that we want to keep our our roads safer but it is stopping people who traditionally in the past might have gone and had a couple of drinks and then drove home and they could they may live in areas where too expensive to get a taxi and might not be able to afford to get a taxi and a number of people said you don't have to drink alcohol when you go to the pub you could still go to the pub and have a mineral or have a cup of coffee you can do that too, Patricia, I suppose. But I think, I suppose, uh, you know, people who don't drink can go to the pub and enjoy a night out of chat and, and catching up with their, with their friends, you know, okay. Another, another I, suppose, I suppose, we always probably look at the, the downside of drinking with, you know, uh, people like to relax too, and, and having one or two drinks helps them to relax. You know, and, you know, I suppose uh, to use a modern term to chill out and, you know, meet up. And I don't know what the solution to it is. I, I wouldn't sort of prescribe that, you know, I don't, I wouldn't condone people with drink and drive or, but you see, what's happened is that there is a big void there now. And we haven't really, we haven't really got the grips. Yeah, With particularly the pubs that, that, have, that are gone, the, the ones that have closed. There's so many of those. Uh, many people now can be many, many miles away from their nearest they can. pub. Yeah. They can, yeah, they can. And, and then, do, do also, Dennis, and, and I'm, I'm assuming this is something you, you're going to want to touch on as well, uh, men can become very isolated following retirement are, if God forbid, they were made redundant. Yes. Yeah. That's... that's, that's um that's a big thing too for for men, in that they they you know they tend to withdraw as opposed to women. They don't as I, as I pointed out earlier on, they don't really join clubs. Now I do know that in in, in places like Kamai, there's a very successful men's club there, and they do a, a huge amount of different activities. Some which would you know it, you know involve the men coming to a, a different setting. Others which, you know, they they have singing 
groups where they they actually go to a pub and sit down and and have it. But that's as I said, that's all very well in in a in a an urban area like for my, uh, but uh, not so much for you know for as you say people living close to maybe a small village where the pub is gone, the post office is gone. And, you know, I think we're killing a way of life, you know, for people. Uh, uh, And I'm not so sure that these people, you know, uh, I think they're being left behind. And we're we're not thinking about them when we're we're planning laws and planning, um, you know, changes in our society. Okay, so who are you, what age group are you pitching Wednesday's event at? Well, we're pitching it at at men at any age, really, you know, because um, it's, it's, I suppose it's basically looking at people in their 50s and 60s. Now, there is a question, I suppose, I suppose people are retiring, are, are, they don't feel as old when they reach 60 now these days. I remember long, uh, years ago, uh, and you'd have things like the the over 60s or the, the active retired group or the, you know, the senior citizens group. People don't see themselves as old anymore when they reach 60, you know, because, uh, and, they do, and I suppose they don't want to, you know, feel old and act old. They want to, you know, and they don't want people doing things for them. They they like they prefer to do things for themselves, you know. And I think that's another barrier in the, especially in the naming of clubs and groups, uh, in attracting people, is that using terms like over sixties or the, you know active retired or senior citizens. I think those terms need to be made redundant. And I noticed that there's a new club that was set up in Mitchestown there. It's on of a Wednesday and, and, and um, a Monday there. It's called the, the Hub, the Social Hub. Okay. It's as simple as that. Yeah, people and need, that's what people need to do. People need to, and it can be hard for people. They need to get out there and find out what is available. You know, what do. kind of clubs, you know, or it might be something as simple as joining your local choir, going to your local Toastmasters, exactly. taking up, you know, bridge, taking up a new, you know, but you need to get out there and not everybody's good at doing that. They're not, no. That's the problem. And that's why we're doing this. this is okay, really, so uh, it's... It'll be a bit light lighthouse. Okay, it's... John Arnold, are you going to have some guest speakers? Yes, we're going to have people like Maria Ham. We'll talk about exercise. And because it's... I suppose we would... We, we want to sort of ask the questions, how healthy am I or how healthy is my lifestyle as well? Okay. You know, because... You know, determining that if you haven't got a very active, a healthy lifestyle may encourage you to do to take up more exercise uh, and get involved in that side of things as well. You know, and um, so we have Maria Ham from Go for Life, and so we will have people there who will sort of offer, if you like, options for people as well.
Okay. But we will let the people decide, the men decide that for themselves. So it's Rathgormick Community Centre. The talk is called Giving Men uh, a Voice, and it is on this Wednesday afternoon. It's the it's an it's a yeah Wednesday afternoon at yeah. half past two. Free admission. They're going to serve uh, refreshments, and people can men can simply turn up on the day. It's not the they way you would do it, James. Okay, and we'll remind um, listeners of that again. But it is this Wednesday afternoon, half past two, in Rathgormick Community Centre. Good luck with it, Dennis. Thanks, and uh, thanks. Uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Dennis Kelly, who joins us. He is Community Development Officer with Winton Atira in uh, Cork. I've been asked to say well done to everybody who took part in the parade last night in Lep. It was part of the Scarecrow Festival. That's the wrapping up of the Scarecrow Festival. And it was a great parade in Lep. And there was also a great parade for Asaura in Clonakilty, uh, which was equally well organised and a great uh, parade. So well done and congratulations. A couple of texts and calls coming into John Paul actually on the TV licence uh, issue. Tom says, I went to court for not having a TV licence. I got fined €200. Euro. I did pay it. The judge gave me three weeks to pay. So you had to pay the €200 Euro and the 160 for a TV uh, licence. But Tom says, what happened to the 150 people that didn't turn up in court that day? Well, I'm, ass- I'm assuming their fines were sent out in the post. Uh, Tom, Tom says, I asked him, why did I need a licence? And, and did the judge say why you needed a licence? I wonder um, your comment ends there. Um, Billy in Bandon says, of course, people that park in disabled pay- bays are breaking the rules of the road, so they should get penalty points with regards to the television licence and inspectors going around at 9pm at night. This is not a new thing. We had an occasion whereby an off-duty Garda came around at night looking for television licence so this would have been going back 20 odd years and more so it's not a new thing yet but the Gardaí don't do that anymore so they don't it's it's on post send out their own inspectors I'm assuming the Gardaí would be down on top of you if you got fined and didn't pay the fine like what happened to poor old Tom who ended up having to pay the 200 euro if he didn't pay the fine then that's a different kettle of fish but a Garda coming to your door now looking for a TV licence I don't think is something that would happen today Gerard in McCroom says a guy called called to us after 7pm one evening checking to see if we had our television licence we did but they called as more people are in in the evening time plus they can see if your television is on so you're not able to use the excuse that they don't watch that you don't watch or that you don't have a a TV and I think that's obviously a good few years ago as well because they're now going by the database so they're not calling to homes that actually have a TV licence they're only calling to the homes that they know don't have. They didn't have a database uh, in the past. John Imala says I don't mind paying for a TV licence for public service broadcasting. As some of the programmes they do when they're looking and in, in doing investigation work uh, by RTE, very well done and can be really good uh, programmes and they do require a lot of work. However says John, you're waiting for the bus. John Imala says I object to RTE losing money because a lot of their presenters are on very large wages. Sort the wage issue out and then says John, I'd have no problem paying my TV licence. I have one at the moment, but I did, I did, I do go, I did go without one for two years because of my feelings around uh, the wages. Yeah, but if you get caught, you can't. I'd love to see you go into court, uh, John, and argue I'm not paying my TV licence because I think the people in RT are paid too much. The law states, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, it's a form of taxation. 
what are the two certainties in life death and taxes you have to pay your television licence unfortunately regardless of how you feel about the quality of programmes Lehman Mitchestown says my issue with the television licence is the quality of what we get from RTE I do enjoy some of the shows like Nationwide I like the news I like the Late Late Show and I like Primetime but the other shows I sometimes sit and wonder at times what are we actually paying for many of the shows are brought in from other countries surely that they should be left to the likes of Virgin or Sky leave RTED with public service broadcasting that's what its main aim is there for 1850 actually there's a couple of people also on about what just while we're on RTE I don't want to be bashing RTE but there's a and I'll put it out as a general one and we'll probably get to it after 12 but did people watch the late late on Friday night and the interview with Peter Casey was the last section of the late late I'll be honest I was exhausted and went to bed but I did watch it on Saturday because I noticed on Twitter on Saturday morning the Twitter had come alive on Friday night when Ryan Tuberty when Peter Casey was on with Ryan Toberty on the Late Late Show. Mary and Ken Turk thought the Late Late Show in that particular interview that it lacked balance. She said the audience should not have been so one-sided in that it was members of the travelling community and she also felt Ryan Toberty was very aggressive with some of his questioning of Peter Casey and felt the balance wasn't right on the programme. And I know we had somebody in one of the first texts I got in this morning was from somebody on this same issue, if I can find it, because it was early. Uh, it's a Patricia, welcome back, thank you. Uh, I would like to highlight what I would describe as poor manners by Ryan Tuberty and his handling of the interview with Peter Casey on the programme. It. I also felt that the, the lady from the travelling community, that that woman was very intimidating the way she was shouting. She seemed to be out of control. I certainly would not feel safe if she was at my door or at the door of older people, certainly with the way she was shouting on the programme on Friday night. Uh, also, uh, on the issue of members of the travelling community not being able to get work, which was raised on the programme, why are they not able to get work? Um, other people go out and find work. Why can they not find work? They well, they, they claim they're discriminated against any time that they go and look for a job. But anyway, that's an aside uh, issue. The handling of Ryan Tuberty to Peter Casey, some people feeling that it was imbalanced and that it was a little bit intimidation the way he was almost set up by the people that were in the audience. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. And Joan and Bantier, this is on the TV licence, says, I've no problem at all paying the €160, Euro, the annual charge for my TV licence. But is anybody commenting on the amount of repeats that are shown on RTE? I'm sick of watching the same thing over and over again. And I rely on my TV for companionship as I don't go out uh, a lot. You're not on your own, Joan. I've had countless numbers of 
texts and WhatsApps in, and I'm sure John Paul is hearing about it on the phones as well, of people saying the very same thing. I just spotted a, te- a WhatsApp saying, TV licence, is it too high? Hello? It's all repeats in fairness, says somebody wa- by a WhatsApp. So no, you're certainly not on your own in thinking that it is all repeats. And if you watch a lot of it, I suppose you really are starting to notice the amount of repeats. A bar in the city says, uh, hi Trish, on the TV licence and RTE just look at all the sports programmes that RTE have lost from Premier Soccer on Saturday Champions Cup Rugby GAA matches and now the Six Nations uh, Rugby so they're even losing out on a lot of the sports deals that they have and that's from Burr listening to us in the city Okay, Barry joins me um, on the comment line Good morning to you Barry Morning, uh, Barry, this is to do with rural Ireland and wh- what's happening to rural Ireland. And we've been discussing the the decline in rural Ireland, particularly from a male point of view with the pubs, the disappearance of the rural pub. And that's led to people just worried about rural Ireland and we're losing rural Ireland. Your views on this? Yes, correct. Um, what I said to John Paul was there really is an orchestrated effort by the government to actually close down rural Ireland for the simple reason is it's a thorn on the side. It's a thorn on the side to any political party, really, any of the big political parties. The first thing they do is they want to urbanise everybody, ideally. They want to move them all in towards the bigger towns and the bigger cities. Uh, when people are in big groups together, they're easier to manage. When they're out in the countryside, um, they're, it's a harder act to follow because they have roads to repair. They have an awful lot of things to do. So yeah, it, it would be cheaper. Let's be honest. If we all course, if we course, all lived in high rise buildings and course. we all lived in one area, you know, you can let the tumbleweed then roll down through rural Ireland and forget about it. Absolutely, and that's and you I think want. there's a concerted effort to do oh, that? Oh, without without a, without a doubt. And uh, I mean, how you do, how you go about doing that and how they've gone about doing that is. Uh, First of all, remove as many amenities and facilities as possible from these areas, which they've done, obviously, with uh, the rural pubs and the post offices. I drive all over Munster myself, and I've seen the amount of of pubs, rural pubs and old shops all closed down. It's so sad, you know? And And it's very hard then to... Whatever about the elderly people may remain on until they pass away because they won't want to live anywhere else. Very hard to encourage young families to move when into areas where exactly. there's no services, yeah. And I had, a, I was speaking to somebody recently there who wanted to rent, um, it was in a, I suppose we call it in a West Cork touristy town now, in a touristy village, and they wanted to rent the premises and start a restaurant for the summer season. Great. And uh, the first, when they, the first person that out them was, was the people from the health and food authorities. And uh, before they could ever even get into the premises, there was something like a bill of 40,000 needed to set up the kitchens, you know? And um, Well, that's all the red tape that's involved. Correct, yeah. correct. And, and you see, that what, what it's all doing is it's uh, decentifying any people who want to set up or anything in these areas. They just find that they suddenly we can't afford Yeah, but that, but that red tape, if you wanted to set up a business in the middle of the city centre or in the middle of a large urban town, there's a lot of red tape involved with that. There is, but at least, but at least you're guaranteed footfall there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. At least that's where true. you don't have that in the countryside. What's going to happen in rural Ireland, I will assure you, in less than, I would say less than 15 years' time, an awful lot of rural Ireland, you'll have the bus drivers going through it with tours, and they'll be saying people lived here at one time. Oh, 
And I, I, I will, I, I'll assure you, you will see that happening. That's a bleak picture. It is, but unfortunately, it is the truth as well. I, I also know of loads because I've, I've a good, I've a few businesses myself that I run, but I, so I'm in touch with people all the time. I also know of a lot of of families who have given plots of land to their daughters or sons, who have in turn tried to get permission, who, be, who, be, who, who have no planning, can't get planning because some faceless person in board, board planala has to turn down, and again. Through numerous trying times, they try and get permission. They've been turned down. Eventually, they give up the ghost completely. They either immigrate or they decide, look, we'll, we'll move into a town That's, tomorrow. That, that is a massive issue that we constantly yeah. hear about people trying to get planning yeah. on their parents' land. Correct. Uh, and it's so important to get the planning because these are the people who will go on if their parents are very elderly. They look after them. But they're also bringing new blood into the area in that if they're getting married and they're going to have children and they will be the future of the area. But I also go back, Barry, to what I mentioned earlier. You know, those of us that live in, in rural Ireland and, you know, live outside of the... Somebody said earlier on, life outside uh, the, the Red Cow Roundabout. We need to support the local businesses. We need to shop locally. We need to spend our money locally and keep it in the local community where we live and work. Well, I, I definitely know that an awful lot of people still do that, but we'll take the rural pub. The, and, I, and, I, and I'm in no way pro-drinking on any sort, but bringing it down to when a person can't even have a half a pint anymore, a pint, that was the complete nail in the coffin for the real old generation that Moffin might only stop and have one pint. Uh, but now that's, that's gone. gone. That's yeah. completely gone. I was recently speaking to a publican who told me you can go into Super Values and you can buy a bottle of whiskey for 27-something whereas they're spending, I think, 40-something for their bottle of whiskey because they have to buy it through the Vintners Federation and they're expected to stay open with all the red tape with it. So it's, it's certainly... It's uh, an effort being made to close down rural Ireland and anybody who thinks it's not is in dreamland, unfortunately. Okay, we'll leave it there, Barry. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork County Council and Irish Water have been on to give notice of traffic diversions and traffic flow is going to be restricted on Davis Street in Mallow starting tonight. It's Monday night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night from 9pm at night to 7am in the morning. So they're going doing the work overnight. Diversions will be in place on Davis Street in Mallow. It's to facilitate the essential cleaning of the foul sewers by a jetting contractor. And well done to all involved for doing this work overnight because if they tried to do this work during the day, there would be absolute and utter bedlam. So from 9 o'clock tonight until 7 in the morning, tonight, Monday, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, diversions will be in operation. My advice is to avoid Davis Street in Mallow completely between those hours for the next three nights while that work is ongoing. Our Cork County Council and Irish Water have apologised for any inconvenience caused. Let me go to some of your texts and WhatsApps uh, coming in to us. Here, Noreen says, quick question for you, Patricia, please. If you haven't had a television licence for a number of years, but want to get one now, 
Will there be a back charge like what they do for your motor tax? Thanking you for your great show. Thank you for that. Uh, knowing, no, um, as, uh, from what I can see, and while I saw your text came in and I did a quick Google search there during the news, I can't find, and I've never heard of anyone being back charged for their TV licence because, of course, they would have no way of knowing, knowing that you didn't decide just to give up TV and got rid of all the televisions in your house or disconnected all of the televisions and that you may have had three or four years where you decided no I didn't have any TV and people do that people do give up TV and therefore they didn't have any need of a television licence and now you're deciding I want to go back and start watching TV again so no they would have no way of knowing I certainly have never heard of anybody being back charged because they would have no way of knowing how long you've actually been unless you're going to be very honest and say I've been without a television licence for the last three years and even if even even if you did that, I don't even know that they could charge you, that there would be a back charge. Absolutely, I know what you're talking about with motor tax. There is one. Certainly, I've never heard of one with a TV licence. What has traditionally happened is if you get caught without a television licence, then you're brought to court and you're fined. And that way you end up back paying through obviously through the fine but no there isn't that you'd have to back pay for the last three years because they say they've no way of knowing and I, I don't even know if they would have a record of knowing that you once had a TV licence and suddenly didn't and now you're looking to get one again because of course you can always apply I wouldn't be suggesting you apply online I would be saying go into your local post office because that is a service that you can do in your local post office all of us that have, have TVs and have TV licences that is there are lots of easy ways of doing it online you can do it over the phone I know is another way but the best way is to go in to your post office once a year and get your TV licence or as a lot of our listeners certainly are telling us a lot of our listeners what they've been doing is they have been buying their stamps every week for somebody this morning saying four euro worth of stamps every week and you have it paid before the year is even up a lot of people do it that way as well and of course you can only buy those stamps by going into the post office keep using your post office please a number of people agreeing with Barry Barry joined us just before news at 12 and was talking about the decline of rural Ireland and in particular was talking about what he sees as the powers that be and he thinks subsequent governments have been deliberately targeting rural Ireland and it's as if they want to end rural Ireland. Urbanisation is what they want. They want us all living close to or in the nearest city are in the largest, the big towns have everybody living in those areas because of course it would be cheaper for them for services from a services point of view if we all lived in the major cities and towns and we just got rid of rural Ireland and we made it almost like as Barry said like a theme park for tourists where they'd take you on a bus down a rocky road with lots of potholes. People would say that's, that's already there. You don't have to imagine that. And they would be bringing tourists around saying, what, people once lived here. and uh, But not anymore. Everybody now lives in the local town. The nearest town are in the large cities and urban areas. And Barry is, firmly believes that it's an active plan. And he's not on his own, can I say, in the belief, because when he, when he mentioned it, we got a number of calls and texts in from uh, people saying totally agree with Barry, the gentleman who joined you and his point of view, uh, particularly when he spoke about planning permission. That people are finding it very difficult to get planning in rural areas. Uh, and it's stopping people setting up homes. And it is a concertive plan. And actually, somebody else said 
on that very issue. Hi, Patricia. Totally agree with Barry, your comment uh, caller, when he's talking about rural Ireland. And I totally agree, particularly on the planning issue. This has happened to us. We were turned down four times for planning permission. All we want to do is build a house next to our family home in a rural area. Four times we applied for planning and four times we were turned down. Sadly, we've given up on our dream of having a home next to our family home. It's obviously on on family land, uh, which I'm really sad to say, says this texter, that we've given up on what was a dream of ours to build on our own uh, land. And obviously now are forced to buy and move to a more urban area because there certainly are not houses, one-off houses like that for sale in many, in, in rural areas. There's very few houses like that for sale. And even if there was, it wouldn't be close enough to where the family home is. This is somebody who wants to live near the family. That's, yeah. To apply for planning four times, and I would be really interested to see and hear what were the reasons that they kept turning you down. But that's, it is heartbreaking. And I can see by the tone of the text that you are heartbroken that you had to make the decision to give up on the dream that you had to live near and in the area where you grew up and where you have close family links. It's, and you're not on your own. You certainly are not on your own. There are so many other people have been faced with that and, and, you, and you are not the first to give up. And by God, having put in four planning applications, you really, really have uh, tried. My heart goes out to you. It really does. And I was talking about shopping locally and supporting the local businesses and particularly in the run up to Christmas. Think about it. Make a concerted effort to do your shopping as close to home and as close to where you live and the shops that are going to be there for you all year round. They're the ones we need to support in Christmas. Can we make or break for a lot of those local shops? So please try to support our own this Christmas. Somebody says, Patricia, I hope this city and the county councillors are listening to you when you're talking about supporting those local businesses. These are the same councillors who are looking for a shopping centre like the Kildare Village to be built in the county of Cork. Are they for real? If you have a Kildare style village anywhere in the county, it will kill off the city shops. County towns are already on their knees. Yeah, I saw that suggestion when I was off last week. I saw that suggestion for this Kildare style, um, the the Kildare village. And I have mixed views. Absolutely, I can see how it would affect the city centre and I can see how it would affect whatever, wherever we've no way of knowing where it's going to be. But if it was, say, in North Cork, outside of Formoy, outside of Mitchelton, outside of Mallow, I could see how the town uh, would be affected. But it would be interest. I would be interested if anybody has done a study in Kildare town to find out what effect did the Kildare Village have on local shops in the area because the one thing about the Kildare Village people travel from all over the country to go to Kildare Village and I'm I'm assuming that that's what the thought pattern is for bringing a Kildare style village to somewhere in County Cork. It would be the amount of people it would bring in to that area. So I would be really it would you would really need to see what studies have been conducted in the towns in and around where Kildare Village shopping centre is and to find out what was the knock on effect 
when that particular retail development came to the area and then we could really make a serious decision as to whether it's a, it's it's good or bad because the footfall through places like Kildare Village and if I mean they're based on the model of the out, outlet centres that you'll find abroad I mean anyone that's been to the, the States will know of those outlet centres that they have they are they're almost like a tourist attraction I mean people literally there was a time I don't know whether we've gone back to it but back in the in the time of the real boom in this country how many people went to the States with an empty suitcase and went to these retail outlets where you have all of the major big designers selling at a discount rate and people literally filled up they went with an empty suitcase and they came back with a full suitcase I know of one person who went literally went with an empty suitcase went with a toothbrush and a change of underwear for the following morning and did all of the shopping and had to buy another suitcase she bought so much stuff in the States that was back in the time of the, of the boom but those outlet centres attract an awful lot of people and killed village certainly doing the same thing here in Ireland so as I say we would need to really look at that long and hard to see what effect but you are right if it's going to in any way do damage or jeopardise the future of the local businesses that are around are the city centre shops that you speak of that certainly yeah I would absolutely be against it as well only time will tell but I'm sure a lot of work will go in before that decision is actually made now I know I've asked John Paul uh, to check on this I don't know if he said if he's had time yet to do it somebody by text but I'll give it out in case anybody else has an answer uh, somebody on text says Patricia could you help me please I want to be able to fly out of Cork airport to Germany I'm trying to book flights but none of the airlines seem to fly from Cork does anybody know know when are they when will there be flights from Cork Airport to Germany I know they the, the, the last day that I was off the Friday at the bank holiday I know Cork Airport because I know we had a piece on the news Cork Airport were announcing new flights that were coming up for the summer now John Paul I know is going to do a quick check for us but I, and hopefully we'll have an answer before the close of the programme but if anybody does anybody know when flights are going to operate out of Cork Airport to Germany I don't know where our listener wants to go is it anywhere in uh, Germany if anybody knows when those flights are going live can you let us know 1850 I can see on the text message service in front of me questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming because she will be uh, joining us in this the last hour of the programme and it's the first Monday of the month so it's a Q&A you set the agenda of what you want Annalise to talk about uh, today and I've been asked to wish Jim and Angela and all of the hard working committee the very best of luck on the official opening of Passage West Maritime Museum and it opens in a little over a half an hour, one o'clock uh, today. So uh, the very best of luck to Passage West Maritime Museum. Everybody involved there, in particular Jim and Angela. And it was Councillor Frick Murphy. Thank you, uh, Frick, for your text to let us know that the Passage West Maritime Museum is opening today and best of luck to all involved. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie the Jack O'Driscoll Fund are holding a fundraising night with the stars in the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork. Roy Keane, Donalogo Cusack and Valerie Mulcahy will be attending. Tickets are available from Supervalue and Centre Stores. Registration for Newmarket Florida will take place in the CYMS Hall at between half past seven and nine this evening. 
The fee for children is 30 euro. The family fee is 40 euro. Limited space, space is available. The first club meeting will be held on Thursday next at half past uh, seven for Newmarket for Oiga. You can contact Mary Kate on 087 6541801. And Carrigaline Toastmasters are meeting tonight and every second Monday at eight o'clock in the Carrigaline Court Hotel. Come along and meet and develop your public speaking. And if you go along to any Toastmasters meeting, if you just want to go along and see what it's all about, there's no obligation for you to speak. They are a wonderful, wonderful organisation. And All-Ireland One Act Drama Festival by the Cork Arts Theatre on Carroll's Key in Cork will be held from the 7th, which is Wednesday night through to the 10th of November. You can check out their website for more details on CorkArtsTheatre.com Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie C103. And Maura says Hi Patricia, I don't have a television but I'm wondering, are pensioners and people on disability still entitled to a free TV licence? Well I don't know about people with disability, were they ever entitled to a free television licence but a free television licence if you are over 70, you get a free television licence as part of the household benefits package. But you've got to be over 70. I don't, as I say, I, I have no recollection of somebody on a disability getting a free TV licence. It was always just uh, for people. Oh, I thought it was when they retired, but when I checked it there, it's not. I thought it was when you hit 66, when you got your old age pension. I thought you were entitled to a television licence, but it seems not. It's, it's when you're over the age of 70. And we were talking about people over the age of 70 having to get a special medical cert filled in by their doctor in order to apply for their driver's licence, which and they're allowed then to get a three year uh, driving licence. And there's a call now to scrap that medical test. Margaret said, you failed to mention that people over the age of 70 who are entitled to a GP visit card. If you go to your doctor on your GP visit card and ask them to sign the form, uh, you have to pay the doctor that that isn't free, that isn't part of your medical card or part of your GP visit card. The doctor will charge you for it. So you're basically getting a doctor. You're, you're having to pay a doctor just to simply sign a form. Margaret, I'm op- Margaret's contacting us from the city. I'm open to correction, but I think that varies from doctor to doctor. I think it depends on the GP practice. Some GP practices charge other GP practices don't charge. It's a little bit like when you're getting bloods taken now. Some GPP, GP practices charge because they have to pay a taxi to bring the bloods to the hospital to have them tested, a courier service. Uh, so you have to pay for that. Not all GP practices do it. So it really depends on where you are. And, 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 I'm, and I'm nearly sure it's the same with those letters because the last time we covered that, we had some people contact us to say no, their doctor didn't uh, charge them. Sean is in Carrigan Line and joins me on the comment line. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Good afternoon. Sean, you have a problem with your air. Is this in your mother's house or in your house? Well, it is a joint house. Joint house, is, okay. Yes, the yes, home where yes. you're living. You've had a problem with air and you've been disconnected. Um, well, we have the landline still coming in, but there's an extension line to to my mother's side of the house, which okay. has been there for 20 odd years. And we were told there back in the top of September there was a problem with it because we were having problems with our internet. Okay. And we had we were on TL and this an engineer and this disconnected that line. Now she also has a panic button. Now since that line is disconnected, the panic button 
is is useless now because it's not active on the other side of the house. Because the panic button, you press it and it's linked to the telephone? Correct, correct, yes. And when Air disconnected the line, were they aware that she had a panic button? Um, Probably not. Probably not. Okay. I'm not too sure. No one but that. you contacted them? I've been in contact with them and um, by text messages there now since the 9th of... Um, the 9th of October, I had sent us text messages and they said they'd be having an engineer out within 24 hours. Um, now, you send out back a text message unresolved and that's the message I got. And um, I was back onto them again on the 12th of October and um, there's still nothing. And there's still nothing coming. I've been onto them this morning and the same text come back or we'll be back on here within 24 hours. No, 24 hours from from the 6th, or from, sorry, from the 9th of, the 9th of October. It's a long 24 hours, I'll tell you that much. Right, we're, we're, we're at the 5th of November. You, you, it's nearly a month ago. Uh, correct, yes, yes, yes. And is your mother nervous because she knows her panic button isn't, her panic alarm button isn't working? Yeah, well, well she would be concerned. We'd all be concerned. Yeah. Because um like I mean there's a number of us would have would have first call to a panic or anything happened, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and your broadband is working. Uh, broadband is only yesterday no, we're out of it more than we had it. Are you uh, in a, are you in a very rural area? We are, yes, yeah. And yeah. no, we were told back we were told back in September that that the modem was we needed a new modem. No, we had got a new modem back in July. Yeah. No, Air sent out a new modem, and that came on the nineteenth of October, or something like that. And it's still, it's still no different. Yeah, but I, I'm I'm at a loss as to why you you have the. I mean, I, am I talking to you on your landline? On mobile, no. You're on mobile, but you do have landline in the house. We do, yes, yes. But just yes. not in the section of the house where your mother lives? Well, yeah, well, at some stage when we spoke to, I spoke to them there and they said um, they will get all the deal themselves the, into, the, into the house, but anything within the house they don't, would not connect. Now, the line that was there, they disconnected it. But and is that, is that a separate phone line to your, is your mother's phone it's line? It's just an extension line. Yeah, an it's, extension. it's an extension of your phone. Correct. Yes. Yes. But yet your mother's panic button was linked to that extension. Is is it? Is that the way it works? That's that's the way it was working. Yeah. Yes. And wow. you know, the okay. that line is there with with twenty five, maybe thirty years. I'm not too sure how long. Yeah. There. But is there that link to time? You know, we're thinking. Of. But nobody's come out to take a look to tell you this is what the problem is and this is what we now need to do. No. 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 Like when they were sending text messages out there, or we'll be within twenty four hours. But you know, just um, twenty four hours. There's a lot happens in twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And John Paul tells me that we are on to. We've sent all of your details with your permission, obviously, on to air, and we are wait. They're investigating it, and we are waiting for them to get back to us. So fingers crossed, we'll have some kind of a positive uh, rea- interaction with them positive being that we get somebody out your house and that we get it sorted because you don't want your mother or any of the family worried about your mother not having access to her because those panic buttons are great had she used it much in the past or is it just does it just give her peace of mind well it just gives it peace of yeah. mind I mean it just yeah. gives her peace of mind
mind. Like I mean, and no, like I mean, you know, no, um, you know, at some stage, you know, that that she wanted to make a phone call and that she knew. And next thing she went, she went to the phone. Next thing she found that the phone was dead. Do you know I mean that was? Do you know I mean that was the other thing issue that she wanted to ring somebody? Yeah. Next thing she found that the phone was dead. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And how is she health wise? Is she in good health? Very good. Very good. good. Very good. good. You know, no, she's in her mid nineties and um, healthy. Well done. You know I mean? And long, long may that continue. But you all need to have peace of mind to know that when Nami goes to bed, if she does need to call somebody, she's able to do it. That's great. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, leave it with us. I leave it with yeah. us and uh, we will, um, as I say, if we get something back before the close of the programme, we'll certainly be on to you, but uh, if it, it would probably be this afternoon, but let's keep fingers crossed and let's hope it does get sorted. Thanks for that, Sean. Uh, thanks, Patricia, and compliments on your programme. Thank you. You're thank very you. kind. Thank, right. you. thank you. God bless. 1850 Keep the questions coming in for Annalise, please. You can call... Uh, John Paul, or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Uh, and by the way, when I mentioned, somebody said, "If you are, are you entitled to a free TV license if you have a disability?" And I was saying I was unaware of that, but that I would look into it uh, later on. Uh, Liam has been on straight away to say, "Hi, Patricia. People on disability are entitled to a free television license for life." And I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for that. And it's the anyone who gets anyone who qualifies for the household benefits package is entitled to a free. TV uh, license and if you're under the age of 66 that includes people with disability allowance, invalidity pension blind pension, incapacity supplement uh, or equivalent social welfare pension and benefits from a country covered by the EU. So I wasn't aware of that so thank you, don't you learn something new every single day. Thank you for that um, I am waiting on 1850 333 103. I'm waiting on, is that Annalise? It is, uh, Annalise is there, my, thank you um, Okay, uh, we've been busy on the phones today uh, John Paul is taking calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Annalise Dussel is at the Health Hub in Times Square in Balancholic. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Professor. And you are welcome to the programme and lots and lots of questions coming in for you. Let me start with Mary to say, what are the best foods to help lower blood pressure? Okay, so actually one of the best foods is celery. Um, but you need to probably take about a head of celery a day. So the best thing really to do is to juice it if you have a juicer. Um, and now you could cook celery as well. I love cooked celery, but it would still be hard to get the full um, head into you per day. But that is brilliant for reducing blood pressure. Um, avoiding salt is, is generally the common uh, guidance given for um, regulating your blood pressure. But actually what can often happen, Patricia, is when people go on a really, really low salt diet, they end up getting a lot of cramps because the salt, there's different kinds of salt the salt that we tend to use in our food can often be table salt, and that's pure sodium chloride. Whereas if you buy a sea salt, or the Himalayan rock salt now is quite popular as well, that's got all of the different minerals in there. So it has got sodium and chloride there, but it also has magnesium, calcium, um, it also would have potassium in there. So that's a good broad range of different nutrients and electrolytes that our body needs. So my advice would be, if you're going on a low-salt diet, at least have a little bit of sea salt 
to flavour your food at some point during the day. Otherwise, you will end up getting those terrible cramps. And some people might even get palpitations of the heart because of the electrolyte imbalance. So back to the foods anyway for blood pressure. Fruit and veg generally are very good, but specifically the celery. Sour cherries are fantastic as well. You can get sour cherry juice in a health shop and that can be wonderful at lowering blood pressure. And then to avoid as well licorice or licorice tea because that can increase your blood pressure. So that's something to bear in mind for people as well who might be taking blood pressure medication. If they feel that their blood pressure is increasing, remove any licorice from your diet. Goodness, of all things licorice, that's a strange yeah, one, Yeah, I it? give it to people with low blood pressure. Wow, because yeah, ah, it has I the opposite effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Danny in McCroom, question for Annalise, please. I've been suffering on and off since April of this year with what I would describe as allergy-type symptoms, red, itchy eyes, and my bottom lip would swell. I've been to the GP, I've had blood tests, I've had allergy tests, all have come back uh, uh, clear. Uh, I had dark chocolate with coffee the first time it occurred. Don't know if it's linked in any way to that. Would Annalise have any ideas of what's causing it? It's like a needle in a haystack. I am taking citrine if I get an attack at the moment. So this is a very difficult thing, Patricia, with kind of sudden onset allergies is trying to like you, it could be anything. So, yes, it possibly could be something called theobromine, which you find in both coffee and dark chocolate. Some people don't do well on that. Generally, it is more of a migraine thing, though, than an itchy eyes and swollen lip. But um, possibly that could be it. And he's dead right when he says needle in a haystack because it could be pollen. It could be animal. It could be environmental. It might be a chemical in some um, cleaning product in the house um, or personal hygiene product. It could be damp. It could be mold. This year, the pollen count was really high. So lots of people had very bad allergy. It could be a food that you're eating. So to try and pin it down is almost impossible. Now, if the citrine, which is an antihistamine, helps, what I think might be worth trying for a period of time is a natural antihistamine and take it every day. So the most powerful natural antihistamine is something called quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. And you can get it in foods such as apples and um, onions, but the best thing to do is really take a supplement to get it in the high dose that you need. Because sometimes I think what can happen is that if you become hypersensitive, if your immune system becomes allergic-y, reaction-y, then it can stay in that hypersensitized state. So maybe now you're reacting to stuff that you never would have reacted to before. So trying a natural antihistamine for a couple of months to calm the system down might be a good way to go. Um, And then take a look at all of the cleaning products in the house to see was there something new introduced because it's often an environmental thing. Okay, and this is another one that sounds a little bit like a needle in a haystack. Hi, Annalise. I have a constant itch back of my head and the upper part of my body. I changed shampoo, but the itch is still there. I am celiac, by the way. Don't know if that could be linked or not. Yeah, may or may not be. It's difficult to know, Patricia. Like itches can be, generally when it comes to the scalp, there's two main causes. One is a dermatitis type of an itch and one is a kind of a fungal itch. Um, now, the fungal itch would often be relieved by using the likes of the head and shoulders or the cold tar shampoos, but will probably come back again as soon as you, um, you know, go back to ordinary shampoo. So what I always recommend for that is the grapefruit seed extract. It comes in liquid form um, called citricidal, and it's spelled C-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L, citricidal. And if you mix if you massage that in with a little bit of warm water into the scalp and let it sit on 
for about 15 minutes before you wash your hair. For this person as well, they could also maybe, you know, just um, put a little bit in maybe some cream and rub it on the area of skin as well. And see, it does not improve. And I would do that two or three times a week until it's cleared up. And then what you can do is you can just add a few drops in with your shampoo every day as you wash your hair, every time you wash your hair. That is brilliant for the fungal. The dermatitis one is more difficult because that really generally means you're reacting to something. Often it can be the sodium laurel sulfate in a shampoo. So trying to get a natural shampoo that doesn't have the sodium laurel sulfate in there would be a good step. And there's quite a few of those different ones in the health shops that you'll get. One of my favourite ones actually is just the plain neem shampoo. It's by the Dr. Vogel company and it's almost as pure as it can possibly be. And that can be very good for itchy kind of dry scalp. Um, so either one of those might work. And if that doesn't solve the problem, it could be it could be an allergy. Again, needle in a haystack territory there. Yeah. yeah. OK, good luck with that. Anna says, hi, Patricia Annalise. Could you suggest any natural remedy for chillblains? Never had them in my life until last year, says Anna. And now and again, I'm, I'm getting them on my hands. And, and also now and again on my small toes. I would be grateful for any advice. Oh, desperate, Patricia. I remember them as a child and oh, really right. painful painful. I remember scratching my feet along the carpet on dry yeah. carpet burn yeah. <laughs> with chillblains as a child. They're very painful. So generally chillblains are poor circulation. So I think for this person it might be worth taking something like um, horseradish and garlic is a great one to improve circulation. You can get that in supplement form or the other typical one would be hawthorn and garlic um, and that's another great one in the health shop for circulation. Now there is a remedy that it can be successful. It's a bit hit and miss, Patricia. For every, say, three people who try this, maybe two people will have success and one won't. It's called Viola Tricolore, and it comes in a tincture by Dr. Vogel, again, the Vogel company, and it's spelled Viola, V-I-O-L-A, like those tiny little violas, you know, those pansies? And yeah. Tricolore, Tricolor, T-R-I-C-O-L-O-R, Viola Tricolore. And you take that daily, um, and I would say do both of those for the time being. And Dr. Delish Clare does a brilliant anti-itch cream that's great for taking the itch out of chilled lanes. So between the three of those, uh, uh, until they clear up, I do the three of those. And then after that, maybe just stay on the horseradish and garlic for the circulation. A Mallow listener, could you advise me please on tummy problems, constant belching, especially after eating? I'm taking, is it Ladspiral gastro-resistant tablets? I would appreciate your advice on what foods should I be avoiding, thanking you. Okay, so... Now, the belching thing could be a few things there, Patricia. The Laprazole, I think, is probably um, the Amaprazole, which is an acid blocker. and Which a lot of people take. Which a lot of people take. And it's supposed to be for short-term use only if you read the fine print, because long-term is not good for your health. Uh, but what they do is they block acid. So it would be then, you, you might get a bit of gas build-up in the stomach when eating, when you're on those. I'd say it's very likely a side effect rather than the foods that you're eating. Now, sometimes it can also be an indication that you've got a bacteria living in your stomach called Helicobacter pylori. They are they exist in about 80% of our stomachs, but if they grow to uncontrollable levels, Patricia, they can cause ulcers. So it might be important to get that checked out. Um, you can do a breath test or your doctor might be able to check, do a blood test for it. So that could be another reason for the belching. Um, to be honest, I'd nearly stake money that it's nothing to do with the food and it's more to do with the 
uh, medication. But foods that can cause belching will be foods that ferment in the stomach. So a tip there maybe would be don't eat fruit or sweet foods when you're having a main dinner. So um, another reason, another way to do it could be to separate your carbohydrates. So for breakfast, for example, you just would have porridge on its own. And then for lunch, you would have, you could have a vegetable soup, for example, maybe with some protein like a chicken breast or egg, but no bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, etc. And that can help. And then as a last case scenario, maybe something like charcoal can help. The activated charcoal. Now, this isn't going to take care of the problem. It's only going to deal with the symptom. So it's not, um, it's not a fix. It's just to help manage the, the wind. And you'll get yeah, and, and embarrassing if you're out, if you're, Very, if you're going, going out for me. the other end as well, Patricia, which oh, often happens. <laughs> and the charcoal is wonderful for that. So, um, yeah, Give I, that I a try. have that in your, in your cupboard at all times, yeah. Okay, what else is coming in um, to us? One sec. Uh, any suggestions, please, for a child who is a year and a half uh, old? I'm trying to get supplements to prevent a cold. And also, what would you recommend as a good cough bottle? Okay, so the the best, I think, supplement for kids as a kind of an immune booster present, preventative is an elderberry complex. Um, now, there's a few different ones on the market. I have one in the shop here by a company called BioNutri. And it's a combination of elderberry, vitamin C, zinc, beta-glucans, which come from mushrooms, which are wonderful for the immune system, lysine, which is a powerful antiviral. So that's all a great immune primer. And I've been selling that for years in the shop here with great feedback from parents. There are other brands, uh, BioCare do a good elderberry complex and I think also Solgar. So your local health store should have something like that. And then a cough bottle. I'm a big fan of the winter wellness. I use it myself. I had a very bad cough there recently and I used it. It's very soothing. I think if you're in the middle of a coughing fit, it can help soothe and prevent the coughing fit. Um, it's a combination of uh, manuka honey, propolis, apple cider vinegar, um, and a few other nice eucalyptus, peppermint oil, and other nice bits in there. So that's a great one for children. And for children under two, it can be very difficult to get a cough bottle. So Dr. Delish Clare does a lovely under two-year-old cough bottle. Okay, okay. and someone is asking about uh, constipation in an elderly person who isn't very active. Yeah, that's a difficult one, Patricia, because we do need to move. Um, and if they're not very active, they're inclined to not drink as much because they don't want to be up and down to the loo either. I think psyllium can be a nice um, one to try, psyllium husk. Um, it's a very gentle fibre that acts as a stool softener. Um, sometimes when people are constipated, the high fibre foods like brown breads, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, all those really high fibre ones, they can actually make the situation worse because it can kind of impact in the colon and then there's no moving it at all. So the psyllium is a lovely kind of a gel fibre that, that can work. Um, the other thing to do would be to soak a tablespoon of linseeds in a small glass of water overnight. And then the next morning, just take the gel, throw away the seeds, but take the gel that has resulted from, um, from soaking the seeds overnight. And again, that's a lovely softener. So you could try those. Um, aloe vera can work very well. And then the best foods to try would be papaya and kiwis. So papaya, you can actually get in a juice often. And kiwis, two kiwis a day are great as well to keep things going. So between those, hopefully something will work. Okay. Hi, says a listener. I've had two bouts of UTI infections, lots of antibiotics, uh, which cleared up the symptoms for a while, but the burning sensation is back again. And the frequency, I'm wondering if cystitis is the issue rather than a kidney infection. I read up on it. Any natural remedies that might help, please? Yeah, so cystitis 
mastitis is part of the urinary tract and it can also be an infection, but it mightn't go up as far as the kidneys. Um, if cystitis is left untreated, it often can travel upwards to the kidneys and then cause a kidney infection. But symptoms of cystitis would be burning when you go for a wee and a frequency need to go and every time you go it's just a few dribbles and it can be very painful. So the best remedy for that, I would say, is a combination of a few different things. So the um, D-manose is wonderful for both cystitis and kidney infections because it makes um, the cells of the kidney and the urinary tract um, sticky enough for the good bacteria but un- inhospitable for the bad bacteria so they can't, they can't stick on, they slide off. So D-manose, you want about 1,000 milligrams a day. Also, I'd recommend a probiotic, like something like Cranbiotics is a good one because it's got cranberry extract and the good bacteria in there. And I would take that, if you're burning, I would take that three times a day uh, for the moment. And then, again, back to Dr. Delish Clare, she does a wonderful bladder blend. Um, There's a herb in there called Uva Earthy that we used to be able to sell over the counter but can no longer. It's been um, stopped by the Irish Medical Board now. Not because it was unsafe, I don't know why, but it's wonderful for cystitis and um, you can take that tincture or if you could get your hands on an UVA RCT um, somewhere as well, that, that, that will give you relief within 12 hours. Okay, and very finally, Jura says, would having a Himalayan salt lamp benefit high blood pressure? No, it no. wouldn't. So the salt lamps are lovely actually um, for taking out the negative ions from kind of a lot of electricity in the air. So they're great to kind of counterbalance all of the um, electrical devices that we have. They can also have some kind of a drying effect because they are a salt lamp, so they can act slightly as a dehumidifier in a room. Um, but for high blood pressure, no, they definitely wouldn't. They, they wouldn't really do anything. No. OK, we'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week. Thanks, Patricia. And we'll chat Bye. again uh, next week. That's Annalise uh, Drissel. And Annalise runs the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Balancolic. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing the programme. And thank you with a lot of... Uh, calls and texts uh, in and our apologies if we didn't get around to all of your texts and uh, emails but as always when we come off air uh, we certainly go through them all but thank you for your interaction throughout the day we look forward to your company again tomorrow from uh, 10 o'clock in the meantime Nick Richards will look after you for the afternoon he's up next and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning until then I'm Patricia Messenger very good afternoon Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie see one Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. 
the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.